Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Ends with Z. I'm Juan Fernandez, along with Cecile Munoz and our executive producer, Sean Mo, joining us at the table today as we continue our conversation on Stress Awareness Month. And for this episode, Cecile, we brought in the heavy hitter. We brought in our favorite psychotherapist, John Salampares. <laughs> John, welcome. Thank you again for having me. I am so grateful that you are joining us today. And I think yeah. after the last podcast, I am especially grateful because it was a lot. It was a lot for me personally to unpack and for me to share of um, the challenges that I'm dealing with, with stress and anxiety and changes in life. And um, so thank you for coming and joining us. Thank you. So you brought something really fun that we did uh, before the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I am... Shocked to say that uh, I I learned um, that uh, my my feeling of discomfort is well justified. And let's start with explaining the the special little uh, exercise you had us do, which I think yeah, is the, is great. Is the Burns Anxiety Inventory? What is that, John? So it's a stress test that I often give a lot of my patients uh, in the beginning of treatment as well as at the end of treatment, and it's a good way for them to gauge their progress. Mm-hmm. But it's also the questions that are asked make us think about our symptoms a little bit better. So it gives us much more awareness about what we're feeling, what we're thinking, somatically as well as psychologically. And as I mentioned earlier, it's very subjective. Mm -hmm. So one day you might score high or low, and then a week later or even a day later, you might score differently. And these categories, John, they're broken down. I'm looking at here. Category one, anxious feelings. Category two, anxious thoughts. And finally, category three, physical symptoms. So maybe we should talk a little bit about each category and what what the questions are, and then we can talk about how we did on the end. But you know what I thought, what I found so interesting is that I feel, even though um, this week has been infinitely better than last week, Mm -hmm. I thought... I was, it's my birthday week. My birthday is tomorrow. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Very shameless plug there to have birthday wishes. And everybody knows that I get super happy on my birthday. I used to celebrate the whole month. Now I've limited to just maybe a few days because, you know, somebody has to grow up at some point. But so I thought I was having a better week. I thought I was excited. Yeah. And I I, want to talk about this because... I think part of the, the challenge, at least for me, the, the person who is a type A personality who says, suck it up, buttercup, right? Just push mm-hmm. right through it, is being able to have a framework that we can allow ourselves to truly measure without yeah. judgment. How measure and also to validate how we're feeling. It's True. not like, oh my God, I'm crazy or something's wrong with me or I'm vulnerable. No, anxiety is a real Uh, thing it's Mm -hmm. uh, you know it's well researched well documented and this describes how we feel so the three categories are very apropos a lot of people experience more physical symptoms than they do uh, anxious feelings and thoughts Mm -hmm. so it's different for everybody and you have to take it with a grain of salt as I said because it's very subjective it's not so it's something you can take all the time right it's not one and done and you're mm-hmm. diagnosed so here we go down the path of treatment it's, it's something you can do every week wonderful but most of the time when people come to therapy and they do the scale um, with me they usually score high and we mm. can look at the areas where they score high and so if one particular area like for example difficulty concentrating number seven if they scored a three on it which is a lot if in one week or in a couple of days or in a month they see that they score a two after that it really gives them a lot of sense of hope Wonderful. Yeah. So I have a question. So if anxiety is how we respond to stress, is this just a way for us to quantify how stressful our week or our 
present moment is. Exactly. Like currently, this is our response to the anxious either thoughts or even events in the externals of our lives uh, are affecting us. For people listening, is stress and anxiety interchangeable or are they two different things? No, they're the same. Mm -hmm. I would say that stress is something more that most people experience because of traffic, because of, you know, something that they forgot Mm -hmm. at work or... Uh, and anxiety is something that's deeper. It affects people more and it lasts longer. Anxiety is chronic. Stress is just everyday stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you can have it and it can go away. It was, mm-hmm. Sean had a challenging time getting here because traffic for some reason this week in LA is horrible. But mm-hmm. that is experience it done moving on. But when yeah. it sits deeper, that's when it can become it's anxiety. It's kind of like there's depression, which is more pervasive and it could last a long time and then there's having the blues today i'm a little down today mm-hmm. so anxiety and stress is the same got it got it important to know the difference so that we can pay attention mm-hmm. and see where we are but stress to me is a precursor if it's um unacknowledged is a precursor to chronic anxiety i see we have to pay attention to it and sometimes an inventory like this helps us recognize what areas of our lives we're most stressed at Because I think, especially when you live in a big city, or maybe even if you live in a small town, uh, when we had our our hair doctor, or my hair doctor, as I call him, uh, Sean... um, Our trichologist. Our trichologist, Mm -hmm. Sean Christen, on with us, he said, look, stress could be just everyday stress. You you know, you're a mom, and you drive your kids to school, and then you drive them to dance class or whatever. That's stressful, but we just take it as a normal part of our day. But if we're not aware, it could compound and... And sneak up on you. Actually, I I did not think I was going to score this high. I'm I am right. a little shocked, and I'm trying not to judge myself mm-hmm. for for scoring so high. So, um, talk to us about the categories. Talk to us about the difference between uh, feeling anxious and anxious thoughts, and and the different categories, and and how we should think about them before we dive in. And well, talk for example, about I scored a 29, which is a moderate anxiety um, a- a result, and. Um, most people who score around that will say, you know what, that's interesting because I don't feel stressed throughout mm-hmm, the day. Mm-hmm. You know, I get sort of like a little bit anxious here and there, but I wouldn't say that I'm stressed, anxious, and constantly worried about things and stuff like that. And I think that especially after the pandemic and during the pandemic, a lot of people would score the same way. We have sort of gotten comfortable in our discomfort that this is how life is, mm. and we don't realize how stressed out we are. Mm-hmm. And this sort of opens up that door and opens up that conversation a little bit better. And if you're listening to right uh, to us right now, we're going to put a link to this uh, Burns Anxiety um, Inventory. Maybe uh, listeners can do it as, as, as they're listening to us. But just so they get a better idea if they want to look to see what uh, what we're talking and about. And it's evergreen. You can take it whenever you want to right. to get a, a temperature, like taking your temperature. That's right. You know, am I running a slight fever today? I want to unpack what you just said, that we've normalized being this anxious. Mm-hmm. I always took someone to say they have, they're they are suffering from anxiety. I never saw myself as an anxious person. I never thought that that's something um, because I, I felt that suffering from anxiety was a very clinical determination and boy there's there's something wrong not judging but there's something that person's seriously having to do something and go see a therapist um i would say i i would use words uh i'm very concerned about this Mm -hmm. i'm I'm worrying this is top of mind this is pressing on me but i never allowed myself to think it's anxiety and what it could produce which we know that yes it's an autoimmune reaction but it's largely brought on board my, my hair loss, my alopecia That's right. from stress and anxiety. 
Yeah, most people relate anxiety to, oh, that's a very nervous person. Yes. They're always yeah. worried about yeah, it's like there's something wrong with you. You can't adapt right. to life. They're always avoiding things and don't mm-hmm. want to do anything. But as we've seen, anxiety can show up as irritability. It can show up as forgetfulness, lack of concentration. It could show up in so many different ways. Um, and, um, you know, um, it's like, it's kind of like a misnomer. Same thing with depression. A lot of people think that if you're depressed, it's you're the kind of person that can't get out of bed every morning mm-hmm. and is always thinking negative thoughts. Not exactly. It can be, again, an irritability, an intolerance of certain situations. So important to be diagnosed, too. Yeah. And one thing I noticed about this uh, test, John, um, I scored pretty low. I scored a six. <laughs> but Great. my problem was not in the anxious feelings or thoughts, but it was actually I scored higher in the physical symptoms, um, for example, um, tingling or numbness um, in toes or fingers. That's happened to me before. Also, tense, tight muscles, headaches, pains in the neck or back. I know I've, I've come here often for the podcast and Cecile gives me allergy meds or or, or just pain relievers because, yeah, I've, I've got stress. Neck on massage. Yeah. So that was more my thing. Uh, it wasn't more the thoughts and, and the um, feelings, but it was more just the, the physical manifestations of, right. of, of stress, which... Again, so important to be looked at, right? Everyone's different. For me, since you mentioned that, uh, I had uh, three, which is the highest score on also physical symptoms. I have butterflies and discomfort in my stomach. I have GI issues, constipation and or diarrhea. I know it's more than you needed to know. And then headaches and pains in the neck as well. Mm -hmm. So people need to understand that you may not think you're anxious, but your body is responding to the anxiety Mm. and it's manifesting itself in this way. It is. So that is... It's such a simple, easy to do test, which mm-hmm. I love. Uh, even though I ask you questions, but I always ask questions. <laughs> but the three categories, it it we have to track it from how we feel, from the thoughts that raise in our in our mind, in in our physical. Um, Here's the seal distilling it all down. Right? <laughs> yeah. Three categories Break it down. now become here, one. Yeah, here comes the analyst, yeah. and. <laughs> Depending on, I think, who you are as a personality and how you push through life, and I'm just going to make a, a, a generalization of type A personalities, uh, we're so focused on pushing through that I, I shared this in, in the last podcast that I didn't realize that I was losing my hair. I saw it, but I never connected the two because I thought I'm strong, I have mm-hmm. energy, I dance, I'm I'm still doing what I do, but my body, as Sean always says, your body is gonna slow you down if you don't slow down yourself. Remember is that your body is giving you information. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people might think, well, maybe my anxious thoughts are because I'm going crazy, or maybe it's that I have something wrong, I have a tumor in my gut because mm-hmm. I have constipation or diarrhea, or, my palpitations are due because due to maybe having a heart condition. Mm-hmm. So it's good insight into understanding that. And remember, one of my slogans is always, it's always easier to prevent a mental health crisis than it is to repair one. So knowing mm-hmm. this early and seeing all these signs is a good way to connect the dots. Interesting. You know, when I had my my heart condition that I've talked mm-hmm. about and, and taking care of and whatnot, after learning that I had had two mini strokes, right? Anytime How scary. I, yeah, right. Anytime I would have some sort of sinus congestion or, or, or any pressure up in my nasal cavity, my brain immediately went to brain tumor. You know what I mean? Yes. So I know exactly uh, what you're talking about there. That's what I was thinking. And it took me a while to kind of come off that cliff because I kept thinking, it's got to be something else. Things are snowballing. This is just one thing that's going to lead to another thing or 
So, yeah. And you at least had an identifiable stressor because you had had this condition. Right. Think about the people that have none. Mm-hmm. And so your mind will always turn on itself and say, well, there's nothing wrong with you, so you must be going crazy, or you must have this tumor, or you must have something uh, that's going to kill you. And I know I did an MRI, so there is no tumor, but Correct. you know, it's just your, my mind did go there. Correct. Yeah, it, survival. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the John Zillamparisms that you shared with <laughs> us that I love, um, like it's discomfort, not danger. I'm I'm going to misquote you here, but I think you said something along the lines: just because you think it doesn't make it true. That's right. And I think that's that's part right. of it. You, right. Immediately, right. our mind goes to right. I'm dying. Oh my mm-hmm. God, because we're so primed for that. Right. Feelings are not facts and neither feelings are thoughts. Are, feelings are Even not Even thoughts facts. are not facts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting about this test. If you had had me, if we'd taken it probably at the beginning of the week, I think I would have scored a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as the week progressed, some of the things that I was anxious about or worried about kind of played themselves out. So that's great. It kind of relieved some of the tension so I think it, it made me think about the week in total and not just right now. So that's why my scores, I think, were a little bit lower because now things are feeling a little bit better than they were at the beginning of the week. Right. And I think collectively, most people, let's say in this country, would probably score a little bit lower now these days than maybe we would have scored two years ago at the yeah, height no of the doubt. pandemic. Yeah. With all that uncertainty and all that, that, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, that attachment to permanence. We had mm. a lot of impermanence going on, which I'll talk about later. The, the change in the, the, the... Everything. The unknown, the uncertainty. The unknowns. Um, I, I also think that I want to go, go back to what you said because we're now... We've normalized this level of stress. We've normalized, I think as a, as a country, we've normalized mm. a, a lot of stress and a lot of um, anxiety and a lot of anger. Um, and a lot of it is for good reason. I, I, I want to talk about what happened, why, what I call that we are really becoming a trigger-happy nation. And I come from Arizona where people have gun racks, even my family, in the back of their trucks. And as kids, we grew up using guns and, and not thinking anything of it. But but the, the shootings that happened, these, these mm-hmm, children mm-hmm. that accidentally... Um, you know, knocked on the door because he got the address right or the father. And wrong. Yeah, he got the wrong address. Who got yeah. the wrong address or the other, the father and I think it was a daughter, right, Sean, that the ball went into somebody else's yard. It was a daughter. Yeah, it is just, mm-hmm. so our, our immediate reaction to response of an unknown where it would have before been a an a, a, a insignificant act or situation, somebody knocks on the door that now our immediate response is, is violence, and that we feel that it's a justifiable response. I gotta tell you, I have a niece who um, has two children. Um, they're mixed race, they're Afro-Latino, and I, call, I, I can only imagine what she's thinking about her 14-year-old son and my great-nephew. Of, they live in a wonderful community in, in Phoenix. I'm worried about him and I'm sitting here and nothing, thank God, has happened, and God willing, nothing will happen. But I'm worried about him. I want to run out and protect him. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. maybe I should call him. Maybe I should talk to him. What should we do? How it, do you prepare him? How do you right? prepare? And mm-hmm. how? And I feel the anxiety. So, um, talk about that. Hmm. Well, it's such a different era, and it's hard to um, give people encouragement and hope when there are so many negative things mm-hmm. going on in the world. 
So what I'm trying to help myself with as well as my patients is, is to develop a sense of emotional resilience. And a lot of people think of resilience as you know strength, stoicism, but it's really about adapting to change. It's about being flexible. It's about um, you know staying hopeful um, despite things like loneliness, mental distress, social issues like that, um, and any of the recent external stressors related to the pandemic. And people can do that. Um, it's just, uh, it's a hard sell uh, in a world like this. Especially when you're so sad and there's mm-hmm. death and, and injustice. Mm-hmm. But emotional resilience, is that a tool to help with stress and anxiety? It is. It's kind of like um, going with the flow. You know, I wanted to tell you something. I, I, I was listening to, not my favorite artist, but I was listening to this poet and artist named Leonard Cohen. And one mm-hmm. of his famous lines is, uh, I can't find it now, of course. I love Leonard um, Cohen. He's one of the yeah. ultimate bittersweet uh, artists. Yeah. There's a lot of melancholy he says, in his music and if writing. If you don't become the ocean, you'll be seasick every day. And we wow. might have talked about this before. So it's a yeah. little bit kitschy, but it's... I can see it. I can visualize yeah. that, John. Yeah, so mm-hmm. comparing the existence of being human and being anxious to an erratic, unpredictable ocean makes everybody pause. So living like the ocean is anything but fixed to our familiar. So if we don't live like the ocean and with all its chaotic variability, we all suffer. The ocean's mighty swells, deadly currents, frightening depths, its beauty, grandeur, everything, even the mystery, it fascinates us, but it also scares us. And I think that's what living in this world is like right now. Mm. It's incredible. It's beautiful, but um, it's very unpredictable. And we get stuck in permanence and impermanence. It's what the Buddhists always talk about. Mm-hmm. And we don't like impermanence. We're very attached to permanence. So emotional resilience is getting a little more comfortable with impermanence. Yeah. And in the, impermanence is the change, right? In the waves, mm-hmm. the, the, which if you don't Right. Sometimes the ocean adapt. is placid and flat. Right. And immediately an hour later, the ocean can be stormy and scary mm-hmm. but that's the way you develop sea legs to use yeah. leonard cohen's quote in in it seems like now we we swing from from calm seas to to a tempest yep. in, a, in a second which is though these people shooting exactly because somebody rang the doorbell that doesn't look like you or you don't know uh, that would and it's have, just one street over so how different really is that neighborhood just one street over that this Man, maybe you know Sean. Um, I didn't hear, but um, well, the the person was going to pick up his siblings right. at this right. a different address. So who who knows? The the guy was really old. I think he was eighty six in his eighties. Yeah. So maybe he just didn't have any type of um, relationship with any other race. Right. So I just find it so interesting, and that's the scary part. Just one street over, it was one hundred and fifteenth Terrace versus Place or something mm-hmm. like that. And he went to the wrong house, but it was still within the community. So for this 80-something-year-old person to 85. not see a young African-American boy walking around or in the community, I, and, and so young, too. I mean, if you look at his picture, such a young he's boy. A and thank God he's okay. He's, okay. Um, he's now at home recovering, but boy, I mean, But the terrible. mental stress, yeah. the, the, yeah. the trauma mm-hmm. that this boy mm-hmm. will carry, mm-hmm. uh, when you, I would imagine that when you are, when the world tells you you're wrong just because you just exist, being you. just being yeah. you well, is, a, a, is a hard thing, a hard, horrible thing to carry. And you know, Juanito, to me, I, it, the question that I ask is not, 
is that street so different than the other? Because who gives a flying you know yeah. what? Mm-hmm. It's not about the street. It's about how we treat each other as human beings. Right. How we are primed to respond to the different, to the uncommon. Um, I like what you said about that we, we have to, uh, that maybe that's the, the challenge of the yeah. human condition, that we have to embrace the impermanence, but we want things that are fixed and permanent and predictable, yet the minute we are born, we're doomed to right. to not be permanent, right? M- more definition of emotional resilience is, it's about developing a different relationship with struggle and even of suffering. It's adapting to change even in the face of loneliness, mental distress, and financial hardship, as we said. But it's a lot of other things too. It's bouncing back despite being knocked down. So it's not how or why you got knocked down and for how long, but it's whether you get up again. It's about reframing a problem and seeing it as an opportunity or a springboard for new possibilities. Acquiring resilience is having the nerve to shed old behaviors and try new ones, even if it means thinking outside the box of our suffering and seeing the struggle as a counterpart for growth. Mm-hmm. That's what nobody wants to hear. Okay, so I can frame it in business. Let's hear it. In here, business, we go. here we go. Here we go. In business, but then I have a follow-up question. In business, um, it's really, the, in the tech world, is move fast, break a lot. Break a lot of things, right? And, and, they, and they almost measure their success by how many mistakes and how they grow from that, mm. how, how, they, how resilient they are. Mm. And we also, we have all these axioms like, if you've never made a mistake, then you've never really tried. You've never really put yourself out there. All of those things are really cool. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. I got I to gotta push myself. But how do you square that? And I'm going to talk about myself with people that say, get over it. Keep going. Keep going. And we don't really get over it. So how do we not fake it? Because there's fake it till you make it, we people say, which yeah. is great. But if you keep faking it, the emotional baggage that you're creating because you're holding on to the loss, you're going to crack. Does that lead to imposter syndrome? Or does that lead to, I'm gonna, I'm yeah. carrying all this stress and I don't even know because I'm just pushing through. Yeah, faking it till you make it, I guess works in certain situations. But if it's the way that you relate and respond to stressors in your life all the time, it reminds me of the, the garbage can, um, you know, with the garbage can that you keep pli- uh, putting garbage in it, but you put the lid over it, eventually there's gonna be so much in there that the lid's gonna pop. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big fan about that. So I... I don't have an answer for so you. So what's there. the alternative? What's a better way to it's to be keep reali- pushing? It's to be realistic and I know it sounds corny, but it's getting back to living like the ocean. It's mm-hmm. really saying, you know what, sea legs means I have to weather each up and down in a different way. I have to choose a different way to look at this thing. So how would you advise there's I don't know if you saw because it was everywhere on social media and in the news, the CEO of a very successful and wonderful furniture company uh, they make chairs and other furnitures um and during a i guess it was be a, a town hall for the company she said mm-hmm. she told oh, people yes. who were complaining about yes. not getting bonuses i'm making the assumption that maybe the business was not hitting the goals because she made reference to that and i just want to talk about this piece where she said you can't you can visit pity street but don't or pity city but don't live in pity city mm-hmm. there was a lot of reactions on both sides to that um Although in some ways I agree with what she's saying, but is that another way of not recognizing people, recognizing people saying, I'm really worried, I'm really concerned because I'm counting on that bonus. How do I deal with now the fact that I'm not going to, even though they may understand why, because the company maybe is not hitting their financial goals, 
was that is that a, a, as a as a leader what would be a better way for me to to tell it people it sounds like a get over it type of yeah. statement. Yes. I would stay away from the word pity. I just don't like that word. Mm-hmm. Um, if I am acknowledging my feelings the way you're acknowledging that you are anxious mm-hmm. and that you scored high on the Burns anxiety scale, I don't hear you pitying yourself. At least I hope I don't. Mm-hmm. I hear yeah. you giving yourself self-compassion that I've been mm-hmm. going through a really, really difficult time. So self-compassion and empathy for self is different than pity. Pity is sort of a pejorative. It's looking yeah. down at somebody. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's how I, it hit me is to, to be able to say, look, I, I, I know that you're really worried. I know you were counting on this money, but we have to be resilient. Let's figure out how we push on to hit that goal. Um, because she did get a lot of a lot of backlash. Oh, yeah. Of, the Internet lit up with her comments yeah. and just how inappropriate they were. Yeah. And I think it's just maybe another way how we don't really stop to recognize how people are feeling about something and the anxiety and the stress that that causes them in their personal lives. And maybe that person, I can't always say this uh, definitely, but sometimes that person may be, the person that used the word pity, is very intolerant of his or her own types of feelings Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. his or her own types of uh, vulnerabilities and shortcomings. And that's not what resilience is. Resilience is is identifying them and embracing them. Your shortcomings. Exactly. Embrace your shortcomings. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That's hard for me. Because we all have them, Cecile. I know, but... Even me. <laughs> really? Oh, my God. That's shocking. I don't believe it. Um, I abhor weakness in myself. Yeah. And I know what that's tied to. It's tied to my survival mechanism. Exactly. It's tied to... I wanted to change my life since the age of maybe four. Um and take care of my parents and take care of my family financially and, and have a different life and, and love the people that I love. And I knew the only way I would do that is if I was financially successful and strong. So weakness meant failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not surviving. And sometimes maybe not eating, not being able to pay my yeah. bills. Um, so a, a process of building emotional resilience for you will be to you read cha- my mind to change the parlance <laughs> to change the vocabulary the parlance the dialogue the rhetoric inside you about that because maybe it's all or nothing maybe you see it as yes i'm a strong woman or i didn't do so great on this project and so i'm a weak woman or i'm a strong woman or i'm anxious this week and so i'm a weak woman somewhere in the gray and finding those sea legs would be emotional resilience yeah because mm. that's that's my modality I, I can't believe I made the mistake and I chew on it for mm-hmm. days. And it's, how can I have been better? I can't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. How am I going to make sure that I don't do that ever again? As a mental health clinician, I've always been hard on myself about having bouts of depression or anxiety because I'm a therapist. I should have figured this out. With right. all your knowledge. Right. With all your but experience. that is complete BS. Dentists get cavities. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Bankers go bankrupt. And psychotherapists uh, yeah. need to see a therapist sometimes too. And we suffer from depression and anxiety. So I can embrace it or I can resist it. I've tried hard to embrace it. I'm getting there, but I'm not, you know, perfect about that. What are some other ways that we can um, foster emotional resilience? Well, I think that, um, you know, before I go there, I wanted to show you something. You know, show me when we did this test, and as uh-huh. I said, that everyone else, I believe, uh, in this country would probably score a little bit mm-hmm. higher than they did before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I was listening to a podcast recently that mm-hmm. was from 2017, and it was from this writer. Uh, her name, you might have heard of her. Her name is Emily Esfahani Smith. 
And she reported in her TED talk that the su- and this is from 2017. Mm-hmm. She said the suicide rate has been rising around the world, and it recently reached a 30-year high in America. Even though life is getting objectively better by nearly every conceivable standard, more people feel hopeless, depressed, and alone and anxious. There's an emptiness gnawing away at people, and you don't have to be clinically depressed or anxious to feel it. Wow. Was that tied because of the rise of social media? It's difficult to say, but that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. So 2017. That was, that was 2017. in 2017. Mm-hmm. So think of how much we are. Mm-hmm. Um, if the all-time high, if the, the suicide rate was an all-time high 30, at 30, all-time high of 30 years back then, think about what it is now. So people have to get really creative as how they're going to be looking at the next five, 10 years uh, with the usual stressors. And the stressors that I hear are, will there be another pandemic? Mm -hmm. Is my money and finances secure? Mm -hmm. Will the economy shut down? And are my loved ones safe? Can the three of you answer me that question positively? No. You can't. Mm -hmm. So emotional resilience is going to be some way for us to philosophize within ourselves how we're going to deal with that. I, I will expand on that. I can tell you that some of it I can say yes, but the truth of it is I'm worried in the back of my head on all of those mm-hmm. three topics. But tell me, Cecile, which one can you say yes about? Well, the economy shut down. Uh, well, also I would say no, I don't think it's going to shut down, which is actually a positive answer versus yes, I think it's going to shut down. But it is going to be a shit show, right? But two Part years of the expression. Ago, but two it's years be ago, we shut down. Yeah, yeah. That could happen again. What if there was another pandemic? I don't right? want to exactly. I yeah. don't want to get real pessimistic. But what if there's a, a worse pandemic and it shuts down? Mm-hmm. People's money are, uh, is in jeopardy. The value of their homes are in jeopardy. Listen, we don't even we, need a worse pandemic. We when we were teetering on, are they going to close us down again? Remember, yeah. Sean? Mm-hmm. All of us would say, "I'm not doing it." I'm not shutting in again. I mentally just could not do it. So I'm just saying we cannot say anymore. Like 9-11, I talked about this before, Mm -hmm. Mm 9-11, we could say that was an isolated incident. That doesn't happen often. Correct. It's over now. Let's move forward. Correct. Right? But this is different. We have different questions now Mm -hmm. and different fears, and we don't have answers. So our sense of safety and security is damaged, and our sense of permanence is damaged with this specter of impermanence. Wow. No wonder we're all... That's why we're stressed. That's why we're stressed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's Mm -hmm. important that we know the the signs, right? The signs in the road of the three categories that we have to be checking in. What are my thoughts? How am I feeling? What is my body telling Mm -hmm. me? That's right. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people compare it to the goalposts being moved farther away or the finish line being moved farther away. You're getting close to retirement, and now you're starting to hear, well, there may not be Social Security by the time you retire. That's right. Or your 401k is going to dip because the economy is not doing well, and you're getting close to retirement. And I I remember even when my dad was alive, whenever he would get those quarterly reports, if there was a dip in his 401k, um, he was upset about it, right? He's like, oh, my goodness, what's happening to my money? And then, of course, it would bounce back, but still, it's, it's stress and anxiety that's very real. And we don't have a lot of data on long-term uh, effects of anxiety. We have Why? short-terms because we haven't been stressed out for this long. Think about it. The last time that we had a prolonged stressor mm-hmm. going on was basically World War II. We didn't have that prior to that, uh, after that. So the less obvious long-term risks wow. are increased risk of heart disease, 
GI disorders like IBS and other sort of right. like chronic bowel syndromes, um, frequent migraines, weight loss yeah. or gain, weakened immune system, because mm-hmm. when you're anxious, your white blood cells don't um, produce uh, as well. And so our immune system is compromised. Um, depression, other mental health issues, insomnia, chronic pain, and uh, other things, substance abuse, isolation. So do you think this is why the younger generations are struggling so much? Because for them, they've been in long-term stress their whole lives. Mm -hmm. They don't really, a lot of them don't know of a world that wasn't as stressful as as it is now. We all know of a world that wasn't quite as crazy as it is now. Agreed. And they have all of that information in the palm of their hand. They get alerts and all kinds Mm -hmm. of messages all the time. When we were kids, we didn't hear about things unless we turned on the TV. Now the kids are hearing it every single minute of the day. And if it was in the newspaper, it was old news, right? Because it was from the day before. Right. And if you mm. didn't watch the news, as you said, you wouldn't hear about it. Or you survived it because it happened yesterday. That's right. It's not breaking news. That's it's right. not happening right now. And we're not following the car down the freeway or right. the, the SWAT team going to the building. And like I remember still, I mean, I hate to get morbid, but when Elvis Presley died, you know, it was it was like a huge news uh-huh. story, mm-hmm. and I still remember it because it was it was such a big thing. And how did you feel about it, listening to it? I'm not an Elvis fan. I mean, I was. Honestly, I can't even I was, remember. But he died at like 74, 77. I was seven years old, so I just knew that yeah. it was a big deal because mm-hmm. everyone was freaking out that he had died. Mm-hmm. I remember the Challenger exploding. I was in high school. And again, no cell phones, no pagers. This was 1986, year I graduated high school. And um, I remember looking for a public phone to call home just because I had heard it in the halls of school. I guess one of the teachers told us. And there was, yeah, suddenly everything became very quiet. Everybody just something very interesting that everybody just kind of like felt it. Um, And my first impulse was to just call home. Mm -hmm. And again, isolated incident. Isolated incident goes away right. after a couple of days, and it did go away. You forget about mm-hmm. it. But it's funny when you mentioned Elvis. I had that. I can almost still picture it if I had to direct a movie of that moment in my life. How I was walking. It was the bottom floor of a two-story building, heading towards the cafeteria, and I knew there was a public phone in between that space. And I heard the news, and I wanted to call home. So it made an impact. But as you said, you eventually get over it. But the trauma is still in, I would say, because he recollects the almost probably how you feel and where you were. You recall all of it. And I assert we're not over the pandemic because of all of these things that I mentioned. We're all feeling a little bit better, but we don't have answers for those four things that I mentioned. We don't have answers for them. We're talking now about a new booster for certain people over a certain age that they might approve by the end of the year. That's going to bring up anxiety in people as well. You know, that's right. So when humans experience anxiety, it isn't so much the fear of the future, which is what people mostly think about. It's more the fear of being unable to control the future. Wow. Well, yes to that. (laughs) (laughs) But none of us can control the future. Of course. Of course. But have we become more aware of that because of these things, John? Of course, we all know we can't control the future, but when more and more things start piling up and happening, you really get slapped in the face with the, the, the fact that you... Cannot control the future. But we do have the illusion of control because if something happens to you in your life, other than the pandemic, there are things we can do to prevent that from happening again. Mm -hmm. That's how human beings have lasted this Mm -hmm. long, Mm -hmm. right? 
uh, strife, uh, bad weather, bad winters. You know, early mm-hmm. man learned how to predict the future. But with this pandemic and this kind of collective angst, it's difficult to control the future. <sighs> I know, right? Really, really. <laughs> A and lot to think about. I know. And, and so it's, it's, I appreciate you saying we're not over the pandemic. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. another way where it just slapped me on the face when you said that. All of us are having allergies in Los Angeles. Yep. More people who have never had allergies. Juan, you're one of those people yep. that have now got you. And I have. We're in the club of what to oh, take, right? My and goodness, yes. I, I was sick last week. Uh, I knew it was allergies because I knew my body. I have a very dear friend who didn't make a trip to see her auntie at her 75th birthday because she thought she had a cold. And I kept telling her, no, no, it's allergies and allergies. But it was so bad. But it was allergies. But the first question is COVID. Immediately, oh my God. Automatically. Automatically. I must have taken four tests, even though I knew that it wasn't COVID. Yeah, I I noticed that at work too. Anytime somebody sneezes or coughing, or they're coughing, well, they're immediately um, offering a lot of information. They're like, well, you know, it's not COVID. Um, I just got a little bit of allergies, or, you know, I got a little something (laughs) in my throat. I should drink some water. I mean, defensively. Yeah, incredibly quickly, they're trying to um, let you you know, convince you it's not COVID. Yeah. It's like I'm. I'm not yeah. infectious. Don't throw me out yeah. of the building. I'm okay. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. That's how I was. And right. you're afraid. I'm still afraid. Pre-COVID, a sneeze or a cough, you're just like, hey, you I, know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. you're right. We're still not over it. That's in, right. In even those ways. So if I choose emotional resilience and to cultivate that, I learn how to be averse to adverse events. I learn not to be averse to adverse events. Not to so, be adverse to adverse events. So if something happens before I start to freak out and I don't go with the flow and I resist living like the ocean, I'm going to feel worse. Okay, so if I see something happening and it's just not good, say, Deflect okay, it. it's happening, <laughs> but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to survive it. Is that going with the ocean? I'm what? accepting it. I'm going with the flow. Put I'm up not your shield gonna, a little bit. I'm not going to call it a pity party like that person yeah. said. I'm going to give myself compassion. Maybe I'll look up some of my symptoms that I'm experiencing from the Burns Anxiety Scale and realize that I've come a long way from the beginning of the pandemic. And we don't know when it's going to end, I guess, entirely, even though it sort of has. But I think psychologically it hasn't for many people. And I go with the flow. Okay, so to answer the question of what was Cecile's number, yours was six, Juan. Mine was six. Sean, what were you? I was 32. Okay, and 32 is what, John, on the scale? Let's it's see here. On the low end of severe anxiety. Severe anxiety. I came up with borderline anxiety, which is funny, just one number off. If I would have had a little less stress in my neck, I would be minimal or no. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm that close to it being a problem. Fantastic. Yeah, and you, Cecile, you were saying? I was 59. 59. Which is... Extreme anxiety yeah. or well, panic. And let our listeners is, know, this goes I, all the way to 99. Yes. The scale goes to 99, so you're halfway there. Thank you, darling. Yeah. I know that you love me because you're trying to make me feel better. I, I, yeah. I mean, if, you were, <laughs> if she was 86, I'd be like, whoa. you know. But Where's the couch? Yeah. John, thank God you're here. <laughs> this goes to 99, yeah. And yeah, so at That's the right. beginning of the uh, podcast, you said... I know you guys are happy because you're, I'm here. And the answer is yes. <laughs> just having you here makes me feel better. Thank you. What I find interesting <laughs> is that the category that I scored the highest, I would have said my thoughts or my feelings because my fe- my thoughts are racing, uh-huh. but it's my physical. You too with the physical. Mm-hmm. 
And I would have never thought that. Yeah. Is it ever. because one leads to the other, John? Is it the manifestation of physical issues based on feelings and thoughts? You know, it works the it works both ways. Um, you could be having um, a lot of physical thoughts. I'm sorry, somatic thoughts, and then uh-huh. you start to worry about the somatic thoughts, and vice versa. So it's hard to say which is the chicken or the egg on that one. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we have to be mindful of all of them. We have to check in with ourselves. We have to yeah. get think, diagnosed. If, get if diagnosed. You, yep. Think mm-hmm. compassionately about it, and and um, realize that anxiety and stress comes at us in every direction. And most of the time, the way that we do that is we worry. Getting back to the control issue. Mm-hmm. So, if I worry enough about something, bad things won't happen. Mm-hmm. And if I stay vigilant all the time, which stresses me out, I will be safer. That is trying to preserve permanence. That's not living in emotional resilience and being in impermanence. When he said, if I worry enough about something, it's not going to happen. Right. I hate to say this, and I say this lovingly, mm-hmm. lovingly, Juanito. That reminds me of your mom. Your mom worries about everything. 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 She's worried about the gasoline problem right now going on in Florida, even though she doesn't drive anywhere and her girlfriends pick her up. That's wow. a problem. She was worried about our rain um, mm-hmm. situation here and our flooding. And I said, Mom, you know, my house is, is is nowhere. It's safe. I'm at work most of the time. I'm good. And I, I just try to listen more when it comes to that. Just listen and give her what she needs and maybe it's just an ear that's my mother too is that just a characteristic of that age group because i think so i think we do it now too my my mother has always been this way i'm sure your mother has too she's always i've noticed it more now after my dad passed away and i was going to ask you about distraction when you're talking about um cecile was talking about dealing with with these different things is distraction a good way to deal with some of these stressors? It can be. It de- it depends as long as it's a healthy distraction. Because yeah, I feel like when my mom is distracted, the the phone calls are a little yes. less frequent. When she's distracted, she's a little more positive. Exactly. But, um, with so is ga- it helpful for you, Juanito? Is no, it's distraction your <laughs> Helpful for it's you very, that she doesn't it's very call you? It's helpful for me. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I don't mind for somebody with anxiety. They say devil's playground. Yeah. But if you have severe anxiety, I don't mind devil's penitentiary. Yeah. So if you get distracted and you do other things, it gives you a little bit of rest. And I always say it's it's when my mom is alone Mm. and it's and it's the silence that is when her mind wanders the most. And I guess a lot of people are like that too, right? So Mm -hmm. yeah. But one thought for your mom is this writer Scott Stossel, author of My Age of Anxiety, wrote: As soon as the human brain became capable of apprehending the future, which is what your mom worries Uh about, it became apprehensive. They became apprehensive of the future. In a sense, human beings are prediction-making machines. Since primitive man predicting yeah. the future as best we can is sometimes the difference between living and dying. As mentioned, nobody likes uncertainty, but it keeps the human mind's eye focused on the prize and staying alive. Wow. You want to give her a call? Can we zoom her in, please? Senora Fernandez? <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding, John. Yeah, But, uh, but not really. Because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'll really help you. Because um, she would probably say, that's just the way that I am, and I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. Or she, well, she might not even say, really? I don't worry. Well, that's the funny thing is, um, my sister and I both agree, and, and maybe you're in the same boat, Sean. It's like, sometimes it's best just to listen and, and provide no remedy, because if you say something to her, I remember one time, and I talked about this early on in this podcast, when my sister mentioned to her, you know, you're a little bit negative. She blew up. Like, what do you mean negative? I'm not negative, but... 
Yeah. We yeah. all know she's a nigger. You <laughs> have so. to just go along to get along. Yeah. Go be along the ocean. to get along. Be put the your ocean. Seat, yeah. be, put, your, <laughs> put your flippers and your scuba suit and just go with those waves. Right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. What about loneliness? I, there's a lot of discussion now of people really uh, grappling with loneliness. Uh-huh. And I read a very interesting article re- recently that's saying, well... You know, don't think of it as being lonely. Think about spending really great quality time with yourself. And I thought, oh, that's lipstick on a pig. Because if you're feeling <laughs> lonely, that's what you're feeling. Um, and it's because so many people are still, their behavior has changed since the pandemic. Yes. There's a lot of research out there about loneliness, isolation, and touch deprivation. Because if mm-hmm. you're lonely, you're probably not being touched. Oh, that's another... That's not around that. here, John. <laughs> not around here. Yeah. Well, speak for yourself. Right. And I'm not talking about sex. You know, I'm no, talking, I'm talking about, about a hug hugging. when you come yeah. in, right? The right. seal greets yeah. us that with a hug. And, yeah. secretes oxytocin yeah. in the brain. It's the feel-good drug uh, from the brain. So isolation is a big factor, too. So ongoing stress, exposing the body to all of that stress, all those things that I mentioned, those high-risk uh, physiological uh, results of that. And loneliness and isolation can cause stress as well. So especially in the older populations of people, mm-hmm. because they're more yes. apt to be alone. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That yeah. I knew growing up as kids. That that's why we, my parents, would take us to visit the the retirement home mm-hmm. to just visit with the the older people. Well, I I guess that uh, a takeaway for me is first of all, I'm really going to incorporate this inventory. I don't know about a weekly basis. But oh, we're going to do it again. John, every time we, he comes yes, to visit us, yes. we're going to do this. We'll come back. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it again. Yeah. Just to see how we're... Quick recap of that. Uh, uh, to How we're, we're doing with that. But I think the biggest takeaway for me, John, is to, to again, because I like lists and category, is to check in with my feelings, my thoughts, and how my body feels. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a few other things, too. It's always good to look for the root causes of anxiety. Mm-hmm. what yours are you have that guide the burns anxiety mm-hmm. scale to to help you with that and i think you know areas where she you knows. get stressed out so yeah. i think we all know the other one is to learn the <laughs> self-regulation skills to find a way to calm and relax your body whether that's meditation or mindfulness or um sometimes listening to music something that calms the central well, she dances system. so that that's a that nice distraction a that helps yeah. So that helps you to learn coping skills. And then what we call the cognitive restructuring, which is what we do with a therapist to mm-hmm. help reframe our inner dialogue so that we respond more uh, resiliently as opposed to negatively. And I love that uh, quote from Leonard Cohen, right? Mm-hmm. That if we, what was it? We don't go with If the, you don't become, become the, the ocean, ocean, you'll be seasick every day. I don't want nobody to be, wants to nobody be wants to be right? seasick. No. I want to be the girl, you know, floating on top of the water with the sun shining on my skin, surrounded by a lot of beautiful, happy, colorful fish. So <laughs> you are our favorite fish in our ocean of happiness, John Selim Paris. Oh, so nice. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making us um, better understand and as always giving us tools to how we have my a pleasure. healthier life, how we're kinder to ourselves mm-hmm. and more supportive to each other. Um, I love the fact that you say touching people makes us better. So go out there and touch touch somebody you love. (laughs) (laughs) And that will bring us to the end of another episode of Ends With Z. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please share and tell your friends. You can find out more about us at endswithz.com. For Cecile Munoz and executive producer Sean Moe, I'm Juan Fernandez. Have a good one because above all else, you matter.